Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody here. I don't know if it helps me. I don't know if it helps you, but all right. Uh, so we are in this, uh, right in the middle of the Lent season of the church year, and we're, if you've been with us, you know we're going through this series that's called Cross Purposes. And uh, <clears throat> like a lot of my corny sermon ideas, right, I play on word. Last week we, uh, anyway, used the word cross in the sermon themes. But uh, Cross Purposes, uh, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a purpose usually unintentionally contrary to another purpose of oneself. And as people who follow Jesus, <clears throat> this is a daily, a daily struggle for us. We have desires. We often have desires that are contrary to the will and the purposes of God. Okay, our desires, as I've mentioned before, is for things to happen fast, for a life that is easy, and for everything to be enjoyable, pleasurable. I mean, you can say amen, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is, for some reason, usually we cannot understand, for the purposes of God, our life sometimes needs to be hard. And things happen slowly. And sometimes it's even painful. And we think this is so contrary to what I want and what I think would be right and what I think a good God would want and want to be right. So let's talk about cross purposes. But today we're going to focus on crosswalk. Crosswalk. <clears throat> Now, a crosswalk, as the joke goes, is something that allows you to get halfway safely across the street. Not, uh, we, we hope most people respect the uh, white lines that are painted on the road there, but the reality is it can be very dangerous as a pedestrian crossing the street. I've actually got a few examples I'd like to show you. Now, before I show you, I just want you to know everybody survived. Everybody's fine. When we think about crosswalks, we hope people will respect those white lines. And if they don't respect the white lines, we hope they're at least fearful of the police officer who may be watching. But the reality is, it can be a very dangerous place. And the reality for us is that uh, the crosswalk that Jesus asked us to follow him through is, in fact, a very dangerous place. It, it is a place where we willfully intentionally uh, give disregard for our own personal safety, our own personal desires to, again, willfully uh, put our own lives at risk even uh, to follow Jesus. Now, the verse that uh, has been guiding us here from Mark chapter 8 we know that Jesus steadfastly walked toward Jerusalem, knowing full well. And this is exactly what he told his disciples ahead of time. He goes, we're going to go to Jerusalem where I must suffer many things at the hands of the high priests. And I'll be crucified. And I will be raised. And to which the first time Peter heard that, he said, no way. You can't do that. That's not that can't be God's plan. You're a good man. You're the greatest rabbi I've ever, 
have ever seen. Uh, to which Jesus turned around from Peter to look at his disciples. Peter's behind him now. And he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set on God's will or his values or purposes. What's his mind set on? On what pleases man. Our ways or our purposes can oftentimes be contrary to what God's purposes are ultimately. And then Jesus says, okay, get everybody together, the whole crowd. Come and listen to this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, if taking up your cross is uh, startling to you, if it sounds scary to you, imagine what it sounded like to those people in the first century. They had seen crosses before. They saw criminals dragging their crosses through the street to the execution site. They walked along the roads into the town that were lined with Roman crosses. They saw and they smelled the people dying and dead hanging from them. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Wow, pastor, that doesn't sound easy. No, it is not easy. Now, becoming a Christian, super easy. Being a Christian, that's hard. Becoming a Christian, that's as easy as laying in the arms of your parents or godparents right over the baptismal font. Boom, you receive God's grace. That's how we all got it. It's a free gift. Okay, now, you want to live a life that honors the God who died for you? Well, that's going to be hard. That's going to be really, really hard. Amen. Have a great week. <laughs> we look at crosses today like artwork or jewelry. And they're a great symbol in the church. They are. They're a great symbol of God's incredible love for us and His complete forgiveness for each and every sin. But you, again, somebody in the first century looking at a cross, that would be like you or me looking at an electric chair. Do you get it? It's how we would look at a gas chamber. This was, this was a tool of government execution. This was the most gruesome tool. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, very different perspective. And you've got to wonder, the disciples right now are thinking, what kind of Messiah is this? What, and what kind of disciples does he expect us to be? This isn't what I expected, and it's certainly not what I want. Well, 700 years earlier, this prophet named Isaiah, 
He's teaching the people of Israel, teaching us still today. What a great reminder when God says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Uh, one one uh, professor uh, had said it this way. The Holy One is holy other. The holy, H-O-L-Y, holy God is W-H-O-L, holy, completely different than us. And it's so probably comical. I think God has a sense of humor, right? When a human says, well, if I were God, I wouldn't allow this to happen. If I were God, this is my life would be easier. If I were, oh, come on. God is infinite, and we are finite. God is omnipotent, and we're stupid. No offense, right? Present company included, right? Compared to God. Uh, God's ways are nothing like our ways. His understanding of the universe and of time and his plan of salvation is so far removed from anything that we can comprehend. So that even the disciples, this is hitting them like a ton of bricks, Okay, Jesus has been popular, he's uh, preaching great sermons, he's healing people, crowds and crowds are coming to him, and they're starting to think, okay, this Messiah thing, is, this is going to be awesome. He's going to, uh, it's, he's going to probably get a crown and a throne, and we can talk about who's going to sit on his right side, and who's going to sit on his left side, his first command, second command, and he's going to defeat these Roman invaders, He's going to reestablish Israel as this independent nation, this kingdom again. This is going to be awesome. Wait a second. Pick up your cross and follow you. You're going to go to Jerusalem and die. You're not going to go die. You're going to go there to kick everybody out and take names, be the king. Something very, very different uh, in God's plan. So those first followers of Jesus, just to give you a little perspective, context. Uh, 10 out of 12 of his apostles, 10 out of 12 were executed for their faith because they refused to deny Jesus. Uh, Judas, of course, hung himself. John, the apostle, he, he lived to a ripe old age but died in exile still. But the other 10 all executed because of their faith. And they're called martyrs. You heard that word before? Well, the word martyr comes from a Greek word. I think it's interesting because I would think the word means to be killed or executed or murdered or something. That's not what the word means at all. Nothing like that. The word martyr means witness. Witness. And so the early Christians looked at these people who had been killed rather than deny their faith. And they said, wow, what a witness. Right? What kind of testimony is that, that this life means so little in comparison to the eternal life that God is giving us in Jesus that I'll suffer anything, even death, before I deny Jesus. Pretty amazing. Really amazing. And this went on generation after ge- The very next generation... Has anybody ever heard of Polycarp? I'm going to say most people haven't. That's fine. Polycarp, this is a great, you should read about him. He's an amazing pastor. This is basically, he's like in the second generation of Christians. And we have so many writings, ancient writings, 
beyond the scriptures, we have scriptures from the first century, but even beyond that, pastors' sermons and letters they'd write to each other. Historians, uh, Eusebius uh, wrote this for us that we have today. Anyway, Polycarp was actually a member, if you will, of John's church. The apostle John who lived and survived, Polycarp was his disciple. So the Apostle John passed on the faith to Polycarp. Polycarp became a pastor, evangelist, missionary to a ripe old age until he started getting persecuted. And he got threatened with his life. And the prefect, governor, basically, he said, uh, he said, Polycarp, I have respect for your old age. You know, you're an old man. I respect my elders. He goes, just deny your faith and I'll let you go, Right? I don't want to kill you. And he, Polycarp, he said, for 80 and six years, I have served my king and my savior, and he has never done me wrong. How could I ever say anything bad about him? I will not deny Jesus. So his execution date was set. And the day of his execution Eusebius, who's a historian, not even Christian, just an ancient historian, he recorded this prayer that Polycarp prayed on the day he died. He said, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and hour, that I might be in the number of the martyrs. Among these may I be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice. So you've prepared and revealed. He goes on to praise and bless God forever and ever. And then Eusebius adds, um, after Polycarp said amen, the firemen lit the fires, burned at the stake. All through the centuries. Okay, let's go to 1400 uh, for time's sake. We'll fast forward. 1415, this is 100 years before Martin Luther, 1516, nailed the 95 Theses. We all know that story, right? Uh, 100 years earlier in Germany, a man named Jan Hus, uh, he was a Bohemian theologian. He believed that the Word of God was infallible, that the Word of God was the authority for all things. So, in other words, he was saying that popes and church councils and you know, they may have nice things to say, but ultimately the Word of God decides what's right, wrong, and true, and false. And for that, they were going to execute him. But again, he was given one final chance to recant, one final chance to deny his faith. And his last words before he was burned alive, what I have taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. Cross-purposes. Walking in the crosswalk, following Jesus. Not what we would expect. Well, actually, this is 2021, right? That's ancient history. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Do we? Do we? I don't know how aware you are of current persecutions against Christians all around the world today. This is a map that shows the, the colored countries. These are the top 100 countries where Christians are being persecuted. Uh, the darkest color is the top 10. Top 10 countries you see in Africa, you see in the Middle East, even India is becoming worse and worse every single year. 
More Christians are being killed there, too. Uh, those are Indian Christians in jail uh, in the photograph. How about this? In France, think about France. You wouldn't think this. In France last year, 230 churches were attacked. In France, 230. And it's estimated, this is the lowest estimate I could find, the lowest. There's millions of Christians persecuted. 90,000 Christians a year are executed because of their faith. 90,000 a year. Wow. How many of you are confirmed? You've ever been to confirmation? Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Episcopal Church, doesn't matter. They all have confirmation. When you were confirmed, you stood up in front of the whole congregation, you stood up in front of the altar of God, in front of God's representatives, and you were asked questions. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus, that he's God's son, that he died for your sins and rose for your eternal life? Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And then you are asked things that you'll try to do as best you can to follow Jesus, to continue to follow Jesus. And these are the last two questions. You were all asked this at some point. doesn't matter, Catholic, Lutheran, you were asked this question in the confirmation rite. The pastor said, Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? And you said, I do by the grace of God. And then the next question, this is the last question in confirmation. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church, capital C, and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it. And you said, I do by the grace of God. As a shepherd, as your shepherd, as your pastor, I look around, uh, I look at myself, I look around, I look at our, our world, and I have great concern for Christians in the Western world, Christians in America, Christians in Scottsdale. And I have to tell you, you know this, I hope, right? I'm preaching to myself. That's what I do every week. I'm always preaching to myself. If some of it trickles down to you, great. That's a bonus, right? But when I look at myself, I think I'm concerned that as a Christian, as a faith, I am soft, I am too soft. I hear, I hear people uh, talking about complaining, talking about uh, getting a flat tire, having a leaky roof, uh, losing a job. Like this is some great persecution. Like this, I'm, oh, I got to carry my cross. Oh, come on. That's that happens. That's just called life, right? That happens to everybody. Everybody gets a flat tire. Everybody gets a leaky roof. That's not persecution because you're a Christian. I mean, we, we are really blessed in that way. But as I look at our world and as I look at our culture, I am concerned that the church and the faith 
is getting more and more moved to the periphery. Used to be, in America, you build a new town, the church was right in the town square with the post office and the bank and everything else. Okay? We were getting more and more pushed to the periphery, outside of the culture, counterculture. And that's okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, those same red countries where the persecution is high, those are the same countries actually where the church is growing the fastest, where more and more people are converting and believing in Jesus. Because what are martyrs? They're witnesses. Like, wow, look at these people. What's going on in their life? What's God doing in their life? So I would just say, and I'm just going to get to the end here. As we think about cross-purposes, how counterintuitive it is sometimes. It's certainly against, again, our desires, our human desires uh, to want to be, you know, to be patient, to, to do things that are difficult, to, to suffer, to have pain. And yet God has an ultimate purpose that's much greater and much grander than this. There is more to this life than this life. And all of us who have a home in heaven waiting for us, that's all of you, that's all of us, right? There's nothing grander, there's nothing more perfect and blissful and joyful. Whatever it takes here in this life to share God's love, to show people God's love in our lives with our faith, our words, and our actions, like we promised in confirmation, right? Then so be it. May God receive all the glory as we remain faithful. So, Last thing, this is the season of Lent, and a lot of times people do things for Lent. You've heard of maybe giving up something for Lent? You've heard of that before? You know, don't raise your hand. Some of you are doing that. I know some of you aren't. Not long ago, I asked somebody, I said, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And he said, old Catholic traditions. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, especially as Lutherans, we know, again, Becoming a Christian, right, getting saved, that's easy. It's not, it's not anything that we do. It's not giving up stuff. It's not doing anything actively either. But being a Christian is difficult. And so I'm going to encourage you. We were about halfway through, Lynn. It's not too late. I'm going to encourage you to find some spiritual discipline. Think of that word as a spiritual exercise, okay? And whether that's uh, a little extra devotion time during your day, whether that is giving up something that you enjoy. And I know some people say, wow, Jesus died on the cross. I'm not going to eat chocolate. Hmm. I mean, come on. That's not the point, right? The point is we need to exercise our spiritual muscles, right? Even if it's just a little bit of exercise, it'll help prepare us for what may lie ahead. And even if it's not our generation, even if we are not called to give up our life for Jesus, we are called to deny ourselves. To love as we've been loved, to forgive as we have been forgiven, and to be witnesses for the next generation, who I believe will be even more difficult. Uh, to be a Christian. So let's start, if you will, please, a little bit of spiritual muscle 
uh, exercises. Right, a few more weeks. It's Easter. I'll let you pick something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for your, your incredible love for us. And we thank you uh, that we have seen the Messiah and we've actually been able to see and understand the whole plan uh, from his birth to his death to his resurrection. What a, what a great age to be living in, to actually have seen this happen now and to understand it much better than the, than the first people to see it. And we thank you that uh, you've given us that gift of faith in our hearts. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us and strengthens our faith as we grow closer to you and closer to each other in love. And we just ask uh, for your help each and every day. We pray for Christians all over the world who suffer for the name of Jesus in small ways and in great ways. And help us to remember them in our prayers and find other ways to support and encourage them in their walk with you as we uh, encourage each other today in our walk. For these things, Lord, and for everything else you know that we need, please grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.